Welcome to the Sound Plays of Traversity, Demons and Demigods, Book 2 of the series, A Bridge of Doom. Here we continue the tales shared in Book 1. If this is your first visit to the Harkin Theater, we recommend you step back, switch to Season 1, and find the first episode of Prelude, The Hostage Prince. If you like what you hear, please rate, review, share, and follow on your favorite platform. We'd love to hear from you. Simply send comments, compliments, and questions to our email. If you care to help in keeping these complex theatrical productions coming, it's very easy. Just buy me a coffee via the website coffee.com listed with a description of each episode. Except for those preferring to remain anonymous, we will gladly announce you as a benefactor in the final credits of each episode. And thank you truly for listening. Step through the gateway and enter the universe of the Harkin Theater. This is Episode 4. Chapter 3 Paul's low moan of discomfort awoke Gaywan from his slumber in a chair next to the bed. After rubbing his face and clearing his eyes, then stretching out a stiff spot in his back, he leaned over his sick friend with an almost motherly concern. Hmm. Paul slept with difficulty, his face warm and moist, his hands clutched at his stomach. Gaywan settled back in his chair and puzzled over the symptoms while scratching at his own tangled locks of hair that wanted a stiff brushing. <laughs> he peered out the window at the purple clouds gliding over the descending single sun. His stomach growled, having been empty for most of the day now, and he patted his pockets, locating the sack of Zanebath and extracting one of the black roots. Paul rolled over with another moan, but remained asleep. Mm. Gaywan hated the feeling of helplessness as he chewed thoughtfully on the dried root and observed his friend. Maybe not completely helpless. 
The elfin wise woman who had given him the bonding elixir so many riads past had also studied his aura. She had mentioned, among other things, that he had powers of healing. Limited, but they were there. All he had to do was learn how to use them. Unfortunately, he never had, being young and forgetful. Still, maybe I can ease his discomfort a little. He leaned over again and rubbed fingers lightly over Paul's torso. He wasn't too sure how to utilize these healing powers. He had experimented with limited success on Clough once or twice, but presumed they were a form of channeling, like enchant, and just opened himself to the surrounding energies. After a few moments, Paul seemed to respond, his brow smoothing out and his arms relaxing. Uh, hmm. At least you can get some respite from your pain, and I can explore a little bit. The enchanter instructed Glink to keep watch over Paul and to alert him of any problems. The mudcat obediently perched himself on Paul's desk and cleaned his paws, his golden brown eyes opening between licks to gaze at the young man now dozing quietly with a relaxed snore. After examining the round doorknob before turning it, hmm, an oddity to Gaewan who was used to latches and levers, hmm, he quietly moved out of Paul's room, the glowing box down the corridor enticing his curiosity. But being free of the responsibility of guarding Paul for a short while, his inquisitiveness was sidetracked by all the unusual things along the hall. Other doors covered with pieces of colored paper hanging in various neat and motley arrangements. And what captured his attention especially was a metal box hanging from a section of wall between rooms. It was black with a thick segmented silver cord attached and a panel of cubes with ciphers inscribed upon them and above these two silver protrusions serving to cradle one end of a smooth black bone to which the other end was attached to the silver cord. Gaewan halted before this thing, daring to lightly touch and feel all its parts. Being segmented, the silver cord seemed flexible, and he tugged on it with interest. <clears throat> Unexpectedly, the black bone slipped off the silver protrusions, which he had decided looked a lot like fangs jutting out, and it fell, the cord's shortness catching it while its momentum banged it against the wall beneath the box. Totally unnerved, Gaewan walked away quickly, fearing he had broken a piece of sculpture or machinery that had been designed to rest in a delicate balance. After scurrying a short distance further, he noticed the lack of angered or shouting people voicing alarm at his accidental disruption, and he relaxed, returning his interest to the less confusing pieces of colored paper on a door nearby. Soon, the black box and bone was forgotten as the enchanter became absorbed in all the pictures on the pieces of paper, decidedly impressed with the superb clarity of this world's artists in reproducing the image of a person or a flower. Incredible. The bold runes on other parts of the door led him to puzzle over how he could understand the spoken language, mostly, except for the slang words and names, but could not decipher the written language. 
Never very good at learning or translating new languages, Gaewan resigned himself to simply appreciating the art of Paul's fellows and leaned forward to closely inspect some of the pictures. Mm. Gaewan looked up to see a tall, lank, red-haired man entering. He carried a worn brown satchel under one arm and a long rectangular box from the other hand. Gaewan was horrified, realizing he was visible. Knowing he would just attract more attention by shimmering out of sight, he decided to appear nonchalant and hope his garb was not too out of the ordinary. To his immediate alarm, the redhead stopped at the dangling black box with its swinging bone, looked around for something, rested his handled box on the floor, then grasped the bone and lifted it to the side of his face. Gods! Gaewan closed his eyes, mortified. It is a religious artifact. He remembered tales of a tribe of primitives who worshipped their dead ancestors by holding and praying to their bones in hopes of being heard. And I have desecrated it. The redhead spoke into one end of the black bone. Hello? Is there... I guess not. Sloppy kids like to hear dial tones all day. He replaced it on the silver fangs, collected his black box, and proceeded down the hall towards Gaewan. And he has just tried to speak with one of his dead. The enchanter stood with his head lowered, feeling utterly ashamed and damning his insatiable curiosity. Though not believing in these animistic religions, he knew enough to respect the beliefs of others and not to intrude, no matter how inane their traditions might seem to him. Excuse me. The redhead came to a stop in front of Gaewan. The enchanter humbly raised his face, accepting the imminent verbal execration as penance for his intrusion on sacred territory. That's my room. The young man glared with mild fatigue as he dug into a pants pocket and extracted a set of keys. Oh? Taken aback at not being berated, Gaewan stepped aside with grace. My apologies, sir. I was, uh, admiring your pictures. He looked over the fellow's clothing, finding it fitting into the apparent acceptability for this society. Brown sweater hanging unbuttoned from his shoulders, a red plaid shirt with several styluses sticking out of a pocket full of folded paper, corded brown pants with a cloth belt, and suede shoes. Huh. The enchanter found interest in the frame-held circles of glass positioned before the man's eyes and wondered if these served to aid his vision. The redhead unlocked and opened his door and made to go in before pausing and looking back at Gaewan. You're new here, aren't you? I guess I haven't seen you before. I have been here only a little while visiting Paul. Allow me to introduce myself. He showed his right hand in the tradition of parleying, no weapons in my hand, and was pleased to see this was a familiar gesture on this world as the redhead took it in his own and shook briefly. I am Gaewan. Might as well be truthful, the least I can do after fumbling with their altar. Glad to meet you, um, Gaewan. I'm Bill. I don't ever think I've heard such a name as Gaewan. Do you... 
His dark eyes flared with realization. You're the fellow Paul mentions from time to time. He even wrote a short story about you for a creative writing class. Hmm. The enchanter could only smile back, charmed that Paul thought so highly of him. But I thought you were just a made-up friend, not... Ah, you must be a friend of his using that name, right? Is this one of Paul's elaborate hoaxes? Bill grinned knowingly. Well, I am a friend of his, and I use that name because it is mine. So, in a sense, you are correct, Bill. He enjoyed the simplicity of Bill's name. A lot like Paul's. However, I am not aware of any... hoax? <laughs> you are about as strange as Paul, Gavon. I especially like your clothes. I could use that many pockets. May I offer you a drink or something? He gestured to the interior of his neat Spartan room. Elated at finding someone so friendly, and feeling very thirsty now that he thought about it, Gawan promptly forgot all about the glowing box and walked into Bill's room. Gladly, Sir Bill. A drink would be most welcome after the long day and rough journey. A rough trip? Where did you travel from? Gawan thought about this and decided the truth couldn't hurt. Hmm. Hope Town of Rue. Hmm. Don't know where that is. Bill shut the door and dropped his satchel on the bed. Is that overseas? In a sense. Yes. Ah, uh, yes. Those long flights can be very tiring, jet lag and all. What can I offer you? I have a couple of sodas, a beer. Have you, uh, any, uh, trisk? Gawan looked around the room, finding its simplicity and neatness a pleasant contrast to Paul's clutter. At the same instant, he wondered how Bill could know of his horrible flight between worlds, then quickly decided he referred to something else. Trisk? Sounds like one of those foreign beers. I don't believe I do. Well, if there's nothing from fruit and... Ah, orange juice is a regular staple in my place. Well, that would be delightful. Certainly. He opened the door to a small brown box sitting on the floor. It hummed quietly as a momentary cool draft emptied into the room. And what do you do here? Gawan inspected what he perceived as a large, extremely lifelike painting depicting a young man balanced upon a metal frame with two thin-spoked wheels constructed of stiff strands of silver. Hmm. And for that matter, what does Paul do here? You don't know what Paul studies? Not exactly. It has been a long time since I have seen him, and he is ill presently. I left him asleep in his room. We haven't had much opportunity to chat yet. Ah, uh, yes, uh, he has been out for a while, poor guy. To answer your question, I am studying music education and history. Paul is a drama major, working on his graduate degree in theatrical arts management. How long have you known Paul? Bill handed the enchanter a plastic cup brimming with orange juice. About two... Um, years, I suppose. Perhaps a little less. The chill of the cup in his hands was surprising, as if it had been dipped in a mountain stream. My! How is this so cold? Is that some sort of ground cellar? Bill glanced involuntarily at the refrigerator, analyzing Gawan's words. 
I get the feeling you're from an underdeveloped country, Galon. Your accent and your names for things. I am from a far country, indeed. Pardon me if I stumble over your customs and such. The enchanter bowed. Bill was pleased with the formality. That explains why you don't know too much about Paul. Are you two field service pen pals? I remember Paul was writing a couple of people in Europe recently. What country are you from? The enchanter smiled ruefully. Mm. I understand what you ask of me, but I know not how to answer you in a way you would understand. His command of the English language is pretty good. Spit it out. I'm pretty good at figuring things out. Well, Gawan knew it would be foolishness lying about a world he knew nothing about. I am from the Hopetown Settlement on the Land of the Ancients under the royal protection of His Majesty, King Anariak Kajor. Bill's smile faded as his brow furrowed in consideration of Gawan's reply. Okay, I asked for that one, didn't I? Land of the Ancients. Sounds very Oriental. Korean or Japanese, maybe? Are there any kings left in the Far East? But he doesn't look even remotely Oriental. Maybe Tibet? My guess is that must be how you translate the names from your language into ours. What's the name of your land in your language? Felstar. With a sense of relief, Gawan took a careful sip of the bright yellow liquid in the cup, glad that Bill was able to find some satisfaction in their conversation. Felstar. Well, I can look for that in the library's international database. This juice of yours is very good. Gawan found the flavor pleasantly sharp and sweet, much like sun's fruit. Almost as good as Trisk. What exactly is Trisk? Several things, actually. The seasonal variety is a mixture of two or more juices of whatever fruit happens to be harvested. In turn, this is mixed with various teas and sweet herbs. Then there's the popular one for drinkers who want the punch of ale, Hard Trisk, a fermented brew made from the rinds of fruits with a few sour grapes thrown in for kick. Bill returned his orange juice bottle to the refrigerator and grabbed one of the sodas. Sounds very good. Love to try it sometime. Gawan noted the metal cap on the bottle in Bill's hands and wondered how he would uncork it. He watched with interest as the redhead seemed to squeeze and twist the neck of the bottle, a spurt of air and liquid spitting out from between his fingers. <laughs> My, that is a well-fermented batch. He presumed the bottle to be filled with wine or a similar spirit. Huh. Bill couldn't help looking at the enchanter strangely, then bursting out with a laugh at Gawan's innocent expression. <laughs> I can see why Paul likes you, Gawan. You are a very entertaining fellow. Fitting, I suppose. Mm. I was once a minstrel. Well, your country does sound a little behind the times. Minstrels around here are better known as singers and comedians. And some of them get elected to Congress. <laughs> well, tell me about yourself, Bill. Gawan attempted to turn the conversation away from himself. I would like to learn about Paul's close friends. Well... Bill was uncomfortable with the idea of talking about his own interests. They never seemed very important to anyone else. I earned my bachelor's in performance on the trombone, and now I'm taking coursework for teaching certification, though I'm really in it for the music history. Paul and I met during our sophomore years here when I transferred from American University in D.C.
Gaewan smiled deliberately, masking his bafflement over the names and words with a look of extreme interest. Hmm. Something tugged at his thoughts. Glink was alerting him. With ease, the enchanter allowed his wardmate's senses to merge with his own until he found himself experiencing the familiar dual awareness. Bill speaking to him and observing Paul's room from behind a stack of books. Before him was a crisp white paper sack from which issued a variety of interesting smells. Marie had arrived bringing fresh food and some of her books. Let's spend some time together while I study. How are you feeling now? Are you feeling any better at all? Or worse? Is that guilt in her voice? Do you play chess, Gaywan? Bill reached for a small checkered board and a ragged, leather-covered, hand-sized box that rattled intriguingly. Gaywan wasn't sure what to do about this. Allow the travesty to go on? Then he remembered Bill's question, not sure to what he was agreeing. Mm, yes. May I interest you in a game, either clocked or simple? Paul and I usually engage a few times a week. Certainly, certainly. He didn't want the distraction from what he was hearing from Paul's room. After placing the checkered board on the bed, Bill nodded happily and opened the box, then began placing the pieces. Gaewan found the game looked very similar to the Warlord game he had played in the taverns when he was younger. But then it is their business. He continued his train of thought concerning Paul and Marie. I was not asked to help in this matter. Or was I? His freethinker morals prevented him from acting without being specifically requested. But if I was not requested, why am I here? The dynasty's hope is threatened, said the dream ghost. Perhaps I should challenge Marie openly about her meeting with her prof. At the same time, Glink's olfactory curiosity drew him closer to the white paper sack that Marie had opened, from which she removed cups with tops and paper-wrapped food. More of those... what kind of... sand somethings? There was the smell of hot cheese, meat, spices, and... and something almost imperceptible, like a bland sting. Oh, here, let me get this for you. Marie turned away to help Paul sit up. Glink took advantage of the opportunity and stretched his head out from behind the stacked books, inching his nose closer to the food, seeking out the disturbing aroma. It seemed to come from one of the cups. Gaewan was aware that this scent could not have been detected by a human, but through Glink it was plain as any pungent odor mixed with others. It reminded him of strong, mineral-laced water. He cursed inwardly at not having Clough's intuition about such things. Black or white, pick a hand. Bill held forth his fists. Gaewan tapped the left one, and Bill opened fingers to reveal a black carved figure. Black pawn, Gaewan. I move first. He replaced the two pieces back on the board among the others. Bitterness. Faint, sweet bitterness stung his nostrils, both wardmate and man puzzling over it. Remembering that an animal's instincts might afford an answer, Gaewan queried Glink. The mudcat felt the urge to avoid the smell. Poisonous! 
Too late, he heard Paul mentioning he was thirsty after sleeping a good part of the afternoon. Marie turned to reach for one of the cups. <gasps> Suddenly, a hand smacked Glink hard, knocking him off the desk. <sighs> Gaewan rocked in his seat. He was in close, deep rapport with his wardmate and had no choice but to react. The mudcat deftly twisted his body in midair and landed on all fours, then made a dash across the floor. Goodness, are you all right? Gaewan felt a sharp pressure on his rear. Oof! Glink was rudely kicked as he scrambled for safety under the bed. <gasps> Gaewan broke contact at the same time he put everything together and stood up in front of Bill. That witch! That cur! You can have the white if, if you prefer. Tis not you, Bill, but her! Gaewan stormed out of the room. Chapter 4 What in God's name are you doing with a cat in here? Marie shoved her foot under the bed where the animal had disappeared. No wonder you're sick. This temper, fleas, Lyme disease, ticks, rabies. But Marie, let me explain. The door flew open. The couple turned as one to see. His eyes on Marie and a flame with fury. Gaewan burst into the room, kicking his way through the clutter. You deceitful draggletail! Paul and Marie could only stare with their jaws open, completely stunned, as he pointed an accusing finger at her. <sighs> to bond oneself completely to a man, and then flirt with betrayal! Treachery! What the hell are you talking about? Paul found strength through his discomfort and shouted his frustrations. Don't crash in here and yell at Marie just because she doesn't like cats! Ignoring him, Gaewan stepped slowly and deliberately toward her, radiating danger. Meetings with Prof. Intimacy for other men. There was something different about her, something unfamiliar and he found the absence of recognition in her countenance even more disturbing. Who is this man, Paul? Order him away! Then he saw the half-empty paper cup in Paul's hand. Gods, no! Gaewan snatched the cup from his hand and crushed it in his own. <clears throat> Ice and tea splattering all over the floor. <gasps> the fear in Marie's eyes confirmed his worst suspicions. She knew what was mixed in with the drink. No! It's true! Seeking new wells from which to feed the inferno of his rage, Gaewan's subconscious delved into that forbidden part of his mind, awakening the beast. But his conscious mind, forever vigilant, wary of such violation by its darker side, struggled to prevent the translation of physical form. It was only partially successful. Instinctively searching to vent the surge of bestial forces churning inside, Gaewan spun about on his feet and spied the unwrapped food on the desk. In one swift motion, he grabbed the sides of the desk, dug his fingers' claws into the wood, then with the unleashed strength and power of the were-tiger, tore the desk out from its frame and flung it out the door. Books, paper, food, and splinters flew in all directions as the desktop smashed against the far wall of the corridor. 
Marie's expression went uncharacteristically dark with an evil leer. She hissed at him, lips rolled back and teeth bared. Then leaped past him out the door and down the corridor. Bill's head popped into view around the door frame. What kind of a wild party are you having in here? <laughs> what the hell did you do that for? <laughs> First, <laughs> you don't want <coughs> anyone or Marie <coughs> to <coughs> know. Now you come in here and frighten the hell out of her. <coughs> <coughs> She didn't hurt your ward mate. Uh, what mate? God damn it. Paul doubled over, arms clutched around his waist. My gut hurts. Gaywan helped Paul sit down, his own fury quelled by his immediate concern for him. Can I help? I don't know. Bill stepped tentatively around the wreckage in the hall and into the room eyes widening at the sight of the topless desk. I'd better clear the phone. We may need to call the paramedics. He avoided the mess on the hall floor as he raised an eyebrow at it. Campus furniture must be shoddy. Meanwhile, Gaywan held his arms around Paul as the young man's convulsions subsided. Easy. Easy. Inwardly, he wondered at what sort of call Bill answered that used bells and made people leave whatever they were doing. Paul rolled his head back. Same sickness? Worse? Worse. <laughs> Feels like my insides are on fire. Ripped apart. Okay, he's not here. Spitting. <laughs> he pulled away from Gaywan to ball up in pain on the bed. <sighs> Paul! Remembering Flaina's gift, Gaywan reached for the silver vial in one of his coat pockets. Paul, are you able to drink something? <sighs> Suddenly, Paul's body went limp. Paul! The enchanter shook him gently, then rested the silver vial on a pillow and touched his hands to Paul's chest. The boy's skin was drenched in a cold sweat, breathing shallow, heart racing. Gods, am I too late? Rolling him over onto his back, he squeezed the reflex points on Paul's jaw, forcing it open, then uncorked the silver vial with his other hand and stopped, indecisive. Will this potion adversely affect someone like Paul? Do I have a choice now? Damning the consequences, he carefully dripped some of the greenish liquid down the gaping throat. After counting several drops, he released Paul's jaw and sat up slowly, feeling suddenly tired from his exertion, both physical and mental. He worried over his friend as he recorked the vial and slipped it back into a pocket. And what happened to Marie? Why didn't she recognize me? True, Paul had needed help identifying me at the first, yet there it is. She fairly spat at me and ran out. Odd behavior for a woman who has interest in protecting her man, except that she has rejected Paul. The poor fellow just doesn't know it yet. 
Bill returned to the doorway and peered questioningly at the two men. How is he? I'm not sure. The tall redhead frowned with concern as he adjusted his glasses. Should I call for medical help? Hmm, not just yet. Gaywan wanted time for the potion to have effect. Okay. In that case, I've got to give somebody an important message. Their parents said it was some kind of emergency. I'll be right back. A deathly stillness enveloped the floor. Long moments passed as Gaywan waited and hoped, his fingers resting on Paul's throat, feeling his pulse. The frightened and curious mudcat peered out from beneath the bed at his master. Mm. Gaywan smiled warmly at his wardmate, glad he had not been hurt. Glink twitched whiskers with apprehension, hoping the danger would not return. The skin under Gaywan's fingers warmed very quickly, and in the next instant, Paul was awake. <coughs> he sat up, covered his mouth with one hand, held his stomach with the other, jumped to his feet, and ran out of the room. He gathered Glink into his arms and stroked him soothingly mm. while he listened uncomfortably to the distant gasps of Paul vomiting. Good. The potion has invoked a purgative reaction. No better way to rid oneself of poisons. It was a short while before the horrible retching noises stopped. Paul appeared in the doorway and leaned wearily against the frame. How long was I out? Examining Paul with a cursory glance, hmm. he looked a bit wrung out but was no longer holding his gut in distress. Only a few moments. Did you give me something? There was a weird taste in my mouth when I woke up. Yes. Paul wasn't sure which was worse, that taste or the lingering sting of bile in his throat. He shut the door on the wreckage in the hall, made his way over to his desk chair, and sat down wearily. Is it tradition in your world for the woman to poison a man she no longer desires? Huh? What's that supposed to mean? <sighs> Gods, why must I be the one? Because there is no one else. Why would Marie be poisoning you? What? What makes you think... Paul stopped and frowned as he considered everything that had occurred recently. How'd you know my food was poisoned? Glink noticed it in your drink. Is that why you're sniffing my food? What makes you think... That's crazy! You're crazy, Gaywan! Marie loves me. She wouldn't try to kill me. She knew of the poison in your food. No, no. You're full of shit, man. No way it could be her. Gaywan wanted to believe this, and he admitted there was no hard evidence that Marie truly knew what was going on, but it was clear that she was not herself. Is the Dark Seer somehow affecting her? Probably. He couldn't deny what he had witnessed on the square. 
And Paul would not believe me now if I told him, and would undoubtedly construe it as a manipulation on my part. <sighs> Crab nails. Try to avoid entanglement while protecting someone, and you still end up covered with mud. Proof is what I need now if I am to convince Paul of his problem. He looked over at the demigod, glaring disbelief at him. At least I have stopped his demise, for the moment. Whatever force is holding Marie is reaching through to Paul and will succeed eventually as long as he believes in her. I can't damn him for his devotion, and for the moment the enemy's plan is foiled. I must seek out this dark seer and confront him openly. Amidst his incredulity at the enchanter's gall, Paul watched as he extracted a fist-sized faceted crystal from somewhere within his jacket. Gawan engrossed himself with the transparent stone. What are you doing? When it became apparent that no answer was forthcoming, Paul slumped against the chair and rubbed his stomach. Whatever Gawan had given him, it had worked admirably. The pain was gone, except for a lingering soreness, and he felt better than he had for over two weeks. Poison? That would explain a lot. Especially why that pizza was the only thing that didn't make him sick. No. Circumstantial evidence. Marie was always with me at meals. Gaywan's earlier question resurfaced. Why would Gaywan think Marie no longer desired me? Impossible. Somebody was using her. That's it. Suddenly, he was struck by the incredible chain of presumptions and events. Hell, this has got to be insane. Then he remembered the last time he had questioned his surroundings and realized, with chagrin, the strong possibility that Gaywan was right. Meanwhile, the enchanter studied the images that swirled before his eyes, concentrating on Marie. He was able to discern her speaking excitably with the Dark Seer, but just as the scene was stabilizing within the crystal, it shifted to darkness. Reacting instinctively as he remembered the painful encounter with the specter on the road to Foran, Gawan broke eye contact and the stone returned to its normal reflection of surrounding light. In immediate retrospect, however, he realized the darkness was not the abysmal cloud of black that had shattered his first small crystal, but more like that of a room without light. Mm. Knowing the unpredictability of crystal scrying when one's mind was scattered, he couldn't rely on what he had seen as being completely truthful, especially when the present Marie's actions contradicted everything he had known, albeit briefly, about the Marie on Fayek. Why did the scene change? Closing his eyes for a moment, he centered himself, then looked into the stone again, seeking out its inner depths, his outward thoughts on nothing but the Marie he knew. This time, the image revealed the dark room immediately. This was confusing. He had not practiced using the Eye of Apaya in this way very much. Perchance this is symbolic of something? He rejected this and pressed the energy of his thoughts into the stone. Show me more. There was a horizontal line of white peripherally, 
as if from under a door. Tendrils of pain made themselves felt inside Gawan's skull as he forced a clear seeing, something very difficult and dangerous for the scryer. There it is. A spectral outline in the blackness, a huddled figure. Yet this still told him nothing, though it felt like his brain was being strangled. Such a scrying practice literally stretched the user's mind outside its natural limitations, like trying to make one's eyes see around corners. He forced the viewpoint towards the line of light under the door. Keeping control of the image became extremely difficult, and a piercing whistle seemed to puncture his head as the scene spun around and faded. He dropped the crystal and slapped his hands to his head in a futile attempt at warding off the excruciating pain. At the same time, he tried to grasp the last image before it swam away. He fell back on the bed and nearly blacked out. What's wrong? Paul was at his side immediately. Gawan rolled back and forth, hoping the throbbing would stop soon. But it had worked. He had seen engraved runes on what he did not know. But it was a substantial clue. He felt sure of that. Are you okay? Get me something to write with. Quickly! Paul glanced around, noting the state of ruin of his desk, and snatched a pencil and sheet of paper from a notebook instead, then handed these to the enchanter, who was regretting his attempt at sitting up. The throbbing resurged with a vengeance, then began fading, as well as his immediate memory of the runes. Nimbly grasping the pencil in his fingers, he presumed the sharp end was the business end, and started sketching lines as well as he could, with his forehead feeling like a slab of iron sagging down over his eyes. What did you do to yourself? Though concerned with Gawan's discomfort, he was still angry about what had transpired and the standing accusation from this man on the woman he loved. If you tell me you saw something in that crystal ball, I may just freak out right here. I did. Gawan squinted at the paper he drew upon. His eyes felt strained after the extended scrying. Why that should make you want to do unnatural things is beyond me. How many times do I have to prove my powers to you? Paul heeded the unspoken warning and decided to approach him on a different tack. He didn't need to be reminded more than once that this was the man responsible for sending Marie back with him. What were you trying to see? Marie. Gawan carefully matched his lines with the fading runes burning in his mind, specifically where she has gone. Away, Gawan! She's gone away! The way you scared her like that, accusing her of poisoning me, betraying me. What the hell do you mean by that, huh? It's bad enough she's been avoiding me lately without having you scare her off. Hell, bet you don't even know what it is to have to worry over a woman. Paul's ranting didn't help Gawan's already dark mood, and he lifted eyes to stare coldly back. The poison seems to have affected your thinking, Paul. You are starting to sound like certain simple people on my world, whom I don't like. Paul could only stare back blankly, stunned by the force behind Gawan's quiet words. 
After a moment, he came around and struck his forehead with a hand. Damn. I'm sorry, Gay One. I just feel like the universe is going crazy around me. And here you are staring calmly into a crystal ball, or whatever, and then drawing things, pretending like you hadn't burst in here like a madman, scaring the hell out of Marie. Don't you think it odd that I scared her? Gaywan finished sketching and looked up at him. Paul's retort stuck in his throat under the scrutiny of those bright eyes. She remembers me, doesn't she? Yeah. Why didn't she recognize him? You have much to learn about the power of well-thought action, my friend. In times of suddenness and anxiety, one should be as a dragon, patient and observant. Polarity and balance. When things are quick, you move deliberately. When things are tight, you should be loose. I dig what you're saying. Mm, delightful. Gaewan was glad he was getting through the lovesick boy's thick skull as he held forth the paper. What be these runes? Runes? I don't know. Oh, oh! He turned the paper sideways, recognizing the figures. Let's see here. Looks like a number with some letters mixed in. P, zero, zero, two, dash, SB. Oh, are these significant? Not really. Unless you can tell me what you saw them on. Um, a door, I believe. Now that makes sense. Room 002. Not many of those around here. Might be the sub-basement of either the library or the pizza building. Gaewan liked the idea of seeing one of their libraries, but put that aside until later. What do you keep in this pizza building? It's in addition to the medical school. Pathology, the stiff shop, rather the morgue. One of the medical libraries for the grad students, offices, stuff like that. Pathology? Isn't that the kind of prof Marie went to meet? Yeah. You think... Did you want to go find this room? Definitely. And quick as possible. Marie's life depends on it. Sure. Just let me get a clean shirt. Paul pulled off the t-shirt that had been spotted with his bile. He stuck his head into the small closet and dug through his clean clothes. Could you get that? Probably Bill wondering what's been happening. Of course. Gaywan went to the door and twisted the knob. Before he could pull it open, it was shoved hard. He froze as he met eyes with the collar. <sighs> Expression cold and calculating, the dark seer quickly swung his fist, making contact with the enchanter's jaw. <clears throat> Caught off guard and unable to react, Gaywan was forced back against the wall. What, what the hell are you doing? Ignoring him, the dark-suited intruder glared furiously at the enchanter, staring directly into his eyes. Gaewan's vision blurred with flashes of bright red, and in the next instant, he lost consciousness. In loving memory of my sterling friend and colleague in music performance, Arthur William Bloxham, Jr., onward to bright skies, my fellow. Fare thee well.
Controversity, Demons and Demigods, Part 1. Sound plays of the second novel were written, recorded, directed, mastered, and produced by Kurt Paul Hotelling. Copyright 2023. Character voices for Episode 4 are performed by Geraldine Cummings, Kevin Norris, Bill Bloxham, Puffin Muffin, and H, the Great and Powerful. The sextology of novels are available through Amazon.com, on Kindle Books, can be ordered at your favorite bookseller, or can be purchased directly from the author. Merely submit a request to our email. The wonderful music for the Harkin Theater was composed and performed by the ensembles of Evan McDonald, Mocha Music, and licensed by PremiumBeat.com. Public domain music performances are licensed under Lieber Lieber Creative Commons. Sound effects and original foley provided by freesound.org, mix kit of Victoria, Australia, Zap Splat of Queensland, Australia, Cusp Studios, and the BBC Library. This was recorded on location in the universe.